we are reading from the Gospel of Matthew, um, chapter 21, starting at verse 28 and reading to the end of the chapter. Matthew 21, verse 28. What do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, Son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir, but he did not go. Which of the two did what his father wanted? The first, they answered. Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to show you the way to righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. When the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. The tenants seized his servants. They beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. Then he sent other servants to them, more than the first time, and the tenants treated them the same way. Last of all, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, This is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? He will bring those wretches in a wretched end, they replied, and he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him a share of the crop at harvest time. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. Anyone who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, They knew he was talking about them. They looked for a way to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowd because the people held that he was a prophet. Well, um, I don't like being proven wrong. And I think that's like a lot of us, isn't it? I'll I'll give you some evidence I was talking to another husband recently, and we both agreed that sadly, um, why do we find it hard sometimes in an argument with our wives to swallow our pride and say sorry and admit we're wrong? It happens. Or I'll tell you something else. Um, You know, you can talk about the arrogance of youth. Well, what about the arrogance of those who are older? See, there's this running topic going on in our household with my kids, that I can be so certain about something. Hey, kids, you haven't lived as long as me. I know all sorts of things. And then I'm proven to be wrong. 
I'll give you an example. Um, oh, a little while ago now, but we're at the dinner table, conversation happening, and the kids heard something at school, and it was something like that Brazil is bigger than Australia. And I was like, how silly is that? You must have misheard it. No way. Um, listen to me. I know these things. Um, of course, Australia is bigger than Brazil. And I just wish in those moments Google did not exist. It's just uncomfortable to be proven wrong, isn't it? And if I could lift this beyond our, I guess, our just relationships, but our culture. Look, look, the big issue of our time, isn't it, is issues to do with identity. There's so much polarization going on. It seems everything is now heightened in wanting to show others wrong. And people dig in in on their positions. And we do want others to change their view. And one of the claims and threats is made, uh, you do not want to be on the wrong side of history. In other words, your position, if you stick with it, it will eventually be seen uh, like so many other evil beliefs that have come and gone in the annals of history. You don't want that I think that's a powerful thing that's being, you know, when, you're, when that charge is being laid, even if it does lack some coherence and consistency. But I'm just making the point to change our position, to actually accept that you've been proven wrong, it's actually not straightforward. It's not like solving a maths problem. You know, in positions we take to change our mind on something, you've got to factor in relationships and reputations that are at stake and our tribe and feeling accepted and fear and our personal stories and pride. It all swells around. It's all in the mix. When it comes to taking a position but then to admit we're wrong and change our mind, it is a big thing. Now today, as we go through Matthew's biography of Jesus, we come to two stories Jesus told. And these stories are known as, well, they're known as parables. And these particular parables are about changing your mind or not changing your mind. And what's at stake with that? And what's going on with that? And today is about, will you and I Change our mind. Change what we're about. And this can be very threatening and harsh and maybe seen as judgmental because, you know, here we're in, we're, we're in church and is it just, you know, some more just laying down an authority card about you've got to do what they say, uh, tell you, telling you how you should live. But I invite you to listen to Jesus. Give Jesus a go here. Check, check him out. And yes, he tells us to change. And he tells us what's going on. If we don't. So I want to talk about how, first of all, how religion and morality stops us changing our mind. And this is what comes through in the first story from Jesus. And it's what we've got there, it's a father and his two sons. Uh, this is verse 28. Uh, Have a look there. The father goes to the first son and tells him to put in a day's work into the family vineyard. And and his first son, and I imagine, you know, there he is. Look at the screen. Look straight at his dad and says, Nut, not going to do that. Now, parents, 
I'm sure you might be able to relate to both these sons in this story. But Jesus' story is there to convey how bad the first son relates to his dad. No respect, no obedience, no love for their parent, except that later on, and this is key, this son puts down his screen and gets off the lounge and gets some work clothes on and he gets to it. He changes his mind. He does what the father asks him to do. And then we've got the moment with the second son. Uh, the father asks the same thing, put in a day's work in the family vineyard. And this is verse 30. Um, this son is so compliant. He's so keen to do the right thing. A hassle-free son. Who doesn't, you know, who doesn't want a son like this? He doesn't kick up a fuss. I will, sir. Except, and this is key, this son did not go. He did nothing. Again, if you're a parent, I'm sure you can probably relate to this. This doesn't sound that unfamiliar, does it? But verse 31, Jesus asks a question to the people he's speaking to. And you need to go sort of back into the context here. But you'll find out that Jesus is giving this story to very religious, moral, good, respectable leaders within Israel. Um, They're called the chief priests or the elders or the Pharisees. And after giving the story, Jesus asked them the question, verse 31, which of the two sons did what their father wanted? And they know the answer. Well, the one who did what the father wanted, the first one. In other words, the one who changed his mind. Now, as I've said, I want us to think today about what's at stake with changing our mind. And Jesus is talking about changing our mind with him. In fact, if you look in your Bibles at the end of verse 32, um, a change our mind is translated in some of our Bible versions with a different word at the end of verse 32 there. See, to change your mind is to repent. Now, Jesus, with the story of two sons, is making the point there are... There are those like the first son who say, "Nut won't do it, won't do it, Dad, not interested. I've got my own life to live. But does change their mind. They repent and believe. And who are these people? Well, Jesus says to these religious types, these moral types, truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. Notice verse 32, Jesus mentions John. Now, this is John the Baptist. Uh, John was a prophet just before Jesus. He was like the opening support act before the main event, Jesus. His message was preparing the way for Jesus. And who are those who change their mind with John and Jesus? Well, it's the despicable, it's the morally bankrupt, it's the awful tax collectors and prostitutes. Can you see who Jesus is lining up as the oh-so-obedient, nice-looking son who actually do nothing? It's who Jesus is talking right to, right in their eyes. That's who he's talking to. Those who have this type of religion, those who were good, those who had morals to keep, but they're the ones who did not and would not repent and believe in Jesus. This is the warning from Jesus. It's not about just words. It's doing it. 
It's not about surface level religious, moral, church going performance. It's getting serious about your heart and your life and turning to Jesus. It's turning to God. Uh, Those guys got it wrong with who's on the right side with God. And we can get it wrong. I'll put it like this. Last night, uh, telecast on the ABC, there was a certain uh, rainbow-coloured, sequence-covered parade going down Burke Street in Sydney. So who's more on the side of God, you think? um, You know, well, it's certainly not those men and women in the parade, but it could be just people who look more like you and me. No. To be in the kingdom of God, it's the son who changed his mind. It's those and anyone who repents and believes in Jesus. You are called to repent and believe. Have you? I'm aware I'm talking about repentance and I haven't really defined it. So I'll I'll define repentance by going old school on you. You know, Christianity, it's ancient. So I'm going to give you a definition of repentance from over 300 years ago. But it's a good one. It comes from the Westminster Shorter Catechism and it says, Repentance that leads to life is a saving grace by which a sinner, out of true sense of their sin and awareness of the mercy of God in Christ, turns from it to God with grief and a hatred of their sin, purposing and working constantly for new obedience. Repentance is a determined change of mind, turning from sin and turning to God in the awareness that in Christ, God is so merciful to you. And just so we're clear about repentance, repentance, it has a definite beginning when we come to Jesus and believe, but it's also ongoing. It takes time. Here's an illustration. Imagine repentance as a man walking in one direction who suddenly realizes he's walking in the opposite direction to the way he should go. So he stops, he turns around, he begins walking in the new direction direction it's a simple it's quick and that's repentance but but imagine uh, someone on a bike realizing that she's going in the wrong direction in one sense well it's obvious isn't it so she stops she turns around she begins riding her bike in the new direction but it's a longer process in a way she has to come to a stop Given her speed, might take a little time. Uh, the turning around takes a little bit longer, and then it takes a bit longer time to actually get up to full speed in that new direction. But that's repentance. Or what about someone in a car? Uh, the time to turn around takes longer than the person on the bike in a car on the highway. Maybe you've even got to sort of do a little bit of a sort of, you know, I don't know, sort of backtracking uh, before you actually get back on the right track. Well, that's repentance. What about someone who's piloting one of those big cargo ships we can see coming up and down the coast, um, you know, on their way coming back from Brisbane? You know, it takes the pilot such a long time to slow down that ship and then sort of finally turn it around and then get up to speed and going in the right direction again. Well, that's repentance. I just want us to be clear what repentance is. Some sins are small and easy. We stop and walk the other way. Some sins are like the bike. They're actually a little more difficult. Some sins are enormous. It's 
God's work in the believer. Different times required to stop and turn and get up to speed in faithfulness. Repentance has a beginning. It's turned to Jesus. But in God's work in us, with a growing awareness of our sin, repentance takes time. But the story of the two sons, the call is to repent. Plenty of people go on pretending. Make out that life is all okay, nothing to see here. But let's not be that son. Let's like be the other son, the first son. When you properly discover Jesus, you can't stay the way you are. There is that change of mind that our response of him would be to repent and believe. You know, I want to go go to that next parable that Jesus gives. And notice verse 33. Jesus gives this next story. It's straight on. There's no break in this. He's just talking to the same crowd. He's still talking to those good, upright, law-keeping, religious people, those who have not changed their mind about Jesus. And this parable is about showing them that their refusal to repent is sadly not very original because they're precisely following the pattern of history, the history of Israel. Now, Jesus gives a story of a landowner who plants a vineyard. This is a picture uh, straight out of the pages of the Old Testament that these religious leaders would have gotten as Jesus speaks it. See, Jesus is talking about the way Israel has been described by the prophet Isaiah as a vineyard lovingly prepared and planted by God in the promised land. The prophet Isaiah says, I'll sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a wine press as well. So Jesus is using this Old Testament picture. These religious leaders would have gotten what he's saying. And Jesus in this story talks about how this landowner rents out this vineyard to others who attend it and produce the fruit with the understanding that it's his vineyard. And he will come back on occasion and share in some of the harvest. So what we read there, isn't it, in the parable that then the landowner sends some servants to collect. Well, what happens? The tenants go rogue. Uh, Verse 35, they seize the servants of the landowner. They beat one. They kill another. They kill another by stoning them. And it's repeated. This landowner keeps sending servant after servant. What's, What's with that? Who get beaten and murdered. And remember, this is Jesus who's talking in terms of Israel, the vineyard that God planted in the promised land. Jesus is giving a commentary on the history of Israel. It's actually not that hard to work out what Jesus is talking about. These servants that God keeps sending are his prophets that over the centuries were sent by God to his beloved vineyard. Um, Prophets, servants of God like Elijah and Elisha and Jeremiah and Isaiah. And you look at the stories in the Bible, you see that they were not welcomed uh, with open arms. You know what the message from God these servants brought to the people? You could summarize it in three words, actually. Change your mind. Or actually one word, repent. Repent. And to repent takes humility. 
takes confession, takes an acknowledgement that your heart's not right, that you're far from God. Repentance is humility. But Israel, instead of taking the, you know, instead takes the way of pride and self justification and prophet after prophet. The religious leaders, they reject them, they pour scorn on them, they sort of shove them in a prison and just hope that they shut up and they even kill them. Uh, to repent is to be humble and turn back from the way you are going. Or you can double down and say all is fine and reject the message and reject the messenger. And that's what these religious leaders are doing with John and Jesus. They are not very original. They are just following the history as it's been going along. But in one way, the religious leaders in Jesus' time uh, do get to be original horribly original because they make the last bit of that story come true. After all the servants, the landowner finally sends the son and this is the lot who kill him. The story of the landowner and the vineyard and his violent tenants, it's not trying to be a lesson in wise business practices. I mean, who would do this? Uh, this Leno sends servant after servant. doesn't make any sense. But what it is, it's a lesson that God is compassionate and loving and kind. This is how God acts towards sinners. He gives them an opportunity again and again and again and again to repent, change your mind, turn back to God. And God's love is so inexhaustible that finally he sends his own son. There's that other part of the Bible that many of us would know. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Repentance is not obeying some random list of rules. Repentance is God sent his son Jesus, so respond to him. I reckon, you know, you get to know Jesus. You want to follow Jesus. You'd want to stop going your way and turn around and go his way. Uh, And there's an awful irony with this parable. It's a story about people who kill the son. And you look down in verse 45, 46. uh, The religious leaders know that it's a story about them. So what do they want to do? They want to kill the son. A story that should turn them to repentance, should melt them. Instead, it sets their hard hearts like concrete. These parables from Jesus are rather full on. These stories from Jesus do offer hope. Like a tax collector and prostitutes who are entering the kingdom of God. How good is that? God is loving and compassionate, so please change your mind. Um, They repent, so let's repent. But mostly with these stories, Jesus is giving a warning for those who won't make that change. It's not like you, you know, they can just, well, okay, well, we just, you know, agree to disagree, that's all fine. You get to hold that position. No, Jesus will judge them. And I'll put it here. The discarded becomes the destroyer. 
Have a look at verse 41. It says there, he will bring those wretches to a wretched end. Or verse 42. Um, have a look there. Uh, Jesus quotes Psalm 118. And he says there, the stone the builders rejected has become this cor- the cornerstone. The Lord has done this and is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who produce its fruit. Anyone who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone whom it falls will be crushed. Um, there's lots of words there about stones, isn't there? But uh, a building, uh, building a house in ancient times, the stonemasons would need to you know, pick suitable stones. They'd judge the stones that were suitable. Then they'd choose the ones that are not suitable, you know, deemed not worthy. Uh, that's how the religious leaders treated Jesus. They ge- treated Jesus as not worthy. But the rejected stone has become the most important stone. Sort of like the foundation stone by which the walls, the layout of the house is set. Have you ever dismissed something, discarded something that later you wish you hadn't? I'll give you a story. When I was a teenager, my, um, well, my grandfather passed away and I was given an old camera of his. And this camera was sort of in this old, very you know, tan leather case. was in good nick, but an old camera. I didn't think I'd ever use it. And as a teenager, I just decided to throw it away. Later on, I actually thought I should, oh, you know, that camera, I wonder what that was about. I should do a bit of research. And I did a bit of research. It uh, turned out that this brand uh, camera, it's called Hasselblad. It's a Swedish brand camera. It's a very iconic camera. It's quite sought-after camera, in fact. Turned out to be quite a lot of money, in fact. And stupid teenager just threw it away. How foolish. And that's how people have treated Jesus. They've thrown him away. But it's not just foolish. It's hard-hearted wickedness. You know, when others change their mind and repent, they dig in. Well, these people kill him. But those wretches will be brought to a wretched end. The stone will fall on them and crush them. Maybe Jesus is talking about the destruction of Jerusalem, which happens a few years later in 70 AD. But Jesus is not just talking about some historical national event. He's talking about a spiritual, personal, eternal reality. He's talking about heaven and hell, God's judgment on every person who does not repent and believe. He will bring those wretches to a wretched end. There's a lot at stake as we think about Jesus you know, and his stories here about changing your mind. Those who will not change their mind. It's not a small thing to repent. You know, make a U-turn. Start living a new way. It's not a small thing to do at all. But it's worth it. It's worth it. When you think about what's going on, it's, it's required. A couple of weeks ago, we had those baptism and membership moments and uh, it was a great morning a few Sundays ago. I just got to hear some wonderful stories from a bunch of people who'd come to repent and believe in Jesus. Just thought I'd grab a bit of one of those stories again. Um, it was from Igor Rostovsky, one of the guys here. Uh, you would have heard this on the day. But Igor um, grew up in an atheist family. Talk about struggling with science and where God fits in. He started going to church with his wife. And Igor says this. Just listen in. 
This is Igor saying, I came across the book, Great Scientists Who Believe in God, and to my shock and surprise, all my childhood idols, Galileo, Galilei, Copernicus, Newton, Pascal, Kelvin, Faraday, Pasteur, Mendel, were solid and firm Christians and believed in God of the Bible. After that, I devoted my life to explaining, exploring more of the Bible. In 2008, I got baptized as I finally came to complete submission and obedience to our Lord Jesus. It was one of the happiest days of my life. To this day, I still cannot understand how despite all my fighting and sinning and imperfections, he chose me to be with him into eternity. Since then, I've never looked back and now I'm more than ever sure that Jesus is the Son of God who died for us, took our sins on the cross, rose again, defeating death, and he is waiting for us on the right side of the Father. Amen. Uh, Thanks to Igor for sharing his story. But that's just one story of a person who had a change of mind. Not to improve himself and sort of make himself better, but to actually turn to Jesus, to repent and believe. And I say this to every person here, but also say this, you know, of your friends and family too. A person can be in a phase of life like that son who says, I will not. But then later changes their mind. So I just want to say, God is not in the business of giving up on people. He's loving and kind and compassionate. So I just want to say to everyone here, just keep pressing on in your prayers for your friends and your family and keep inviting them along to stuff. And a person who's not yet a Christian, keep coming along too. Uh, I've got to say, in four weeks' time, we have Easter here at Christ Central. It's always a great weekend. Would love to have you here for that. Invite friends and family along to that. Because we'll be looking at the one who was rejected and despised, hung on a cross, crucified, but he wasn't defeated. He defeated death. He rose again. That Jesus is the one to whom we should repent and believe. Uh, changing our mind on something can be very complex. It can be a hard thing. It's not straightforward. It's not just learning some new facts and therefore then taking a new position. Certainly when it comes to Jesus, this changing of our mind that he calls for repentance is coming to a place of such personal humility that you know, you know you can no longer do life your way. And you turn to him and you trust him and you follow him. And this call from Jesus to repent and believe is not simply someone who's saying, you know, just laying down a few rules to follow. You know, he's just not playing the authority card on you. You know, just do what I say. No, he gave his, gave his life for you. And he rose again. For those who don't turn to him, well, the stakes are really high. There's destruction. But for those who turn to him, you're going to live and you're going to bask in his acceptance forever and you will never be lonely and you'll always know his love. So don't hold back anymore. Repent and believe. Let's pray.